beaches. Brody, sick vandalism. That is a deliberate mutilation of a public service message. Now, I want those little paint-happy bastards caught and hung up by their Buster Browns. That's it. And so do we, Mr. Mayor, so do we. We want to know who was guilty of the billboard vandalism in Jaws. Welcome back to this 30th episode of the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Episode 30, Billboard Vandals Caught. Yes, that is right. We have a very special episode here. We are going to prove from clues in the movie who was responsible for the vandalism of the Amity Island billboard. And at the same time, we're going to exonerate and change a 47-year-old narrative that exists in Jaws. And what this will happen, this will allow you to see Jaws in yet again, see Jaws in a whole new light. So that's why we have a lot to get to. We have a lot of evidence. We have a lot of things to go over. We have a lot of information to unpack. If we're going to find out and if we're going to be definitive on who actually vandalized that billboard, we have to follow clues in the movie, but we are also, at the same time, we are going to be bringing a special guest onto the show. We will have an actor that was in Jaws to bring information to us that has really never been available to the public. That's a, that's a big piece to this puzzle that we're trying to assemble here to find out and find out definitively who vandalized the billboard in Jaws. We are going to get right into it here by going to the scene of the crime. The scene of the crime, as we know, at 50 minutes and 21 seconds into the movie Jaws, at a scene on a hilltop in Amity Island, where Chief Brody and Matt Hooper are trying to convince the mayor that they have to close the beaches. And they are in front of a billboard that states, Amity Island welcomes you, a girl swimming on a raft, 50th annual regatta, 
July 4th through the 10th. But the crime is that the mayor is referencing is that someone throughout the night has climbed up there and they painted a giant black shark fin. And they also used, uh, what they also did was they, um, they painted over the girl's eyes to make her eyes wide and looking backwards towards the shark fin. They painted her mouth wide open screaming and they have a comic book dialogue bubble painted there that says help shark with exclamation marks. That's the sick vandalism, quote unquote, that the mayor says that he wants the culprits caught. At the scene of the crime, what we have to look at is what were the materials used? We have black and white paint, black and white paint. So we have those two colors used by the vandals to desecrate the billboard. So that's how we are going to be able to find, okay, that's how we're going to be able to find the guilty party. First thing, before before we go any further, we're going to have to eliminate the silly Hooper theory. About a few months back, around March, we had someone on a Reddit forum posted a theory, and the media outlets picked it up and ran with it and gave it a little bit of validity. And we have to shoot that one down here because... It just does not work out with the evidence that's in the movie. So let's talk about that really quick. Over at CBR.com, the article was, A Jaws Theory Reveals the Culprit of an Iconic Crime by Nicholas Brooks back in March 12th, 2022. A new theory teased who may have been the culprit of this offense all along. I will post this article along with all the slides and images that we are going to be referencing on the Telegram channel, uh, Telegram at Jaws OB. Just go down into the description of the broadcast that you're listening to. You could just click on that and you'll go right to all this evidence that we're posting. You can read this full article that I'm going to reference here. So in this article, he goes on to write, Massive gray white shark finds its way to a quiet New England island of Amity. Eventually a shark's presence causes too much trouble and they are forced to call Matt Hooper of the Oceanographic Institute to figure out what is going on. He tries everything to get the mayor to understand the severity, including... According to Redditor, Redditor Selective Sanity, vandalism. For the mayor, he only saw it as sick vandalism and was more focused on finding the culprit rather than understanding the reason behind the act. Th that said, Hooper was the only one who tried to get the mayor to understand. Uh, he explained to the mayor that the proportions of the, uh, of the fin were correct and the people who painted it had a strong point. So as the theory goes, they tried to explain that vandalizing the billboard was an effort to put sense into the mayor and wanting to save as many lives as possible through fear. While Hooper and Brody were the foremost authorities in the situation, they were treated as outlaws. As a result, Hooper took an outlaw approach and fought back the only way he knew how, with manipulation and fear. It's a silly theory. Um, it's a silly theory to think that Hooper would have done this, and we can prove this theory wrong just by going back to episode 16 of The Jaws Obsession where we actually created a JAWS timeline and we showed you how JAWS takes place over 12 calendar days. What we have is at the scene of the crime, the meeting with Mayor Vaughn at the billboard is on the morning of July 3rd, the day before the 4th of July. We know this because the mayor establishes that he says tomorrow is the 4th of July. So we know that that's on the 3rd. But we also know through the JAWS timeline, Hooper arrives on the island on July 2nd. The Chrissy autopsy is July 2nd. The tiger shark autopsy is the night of July 2nd. And then Hooper and Chief Brody go out and find Ben Gardner's boat. That is all on the night of July 2nd. So for this theory to actually be taken seriously, you would have to then pretend that Chief Brody and Hooper went from finding the Ben Gardner boat 
And somehow Hooper was able to leave that scene where they said they had to tow it back in. And then he was able to go find black paint and white paint and then go and desecrate a billboard, vandalize the billboard before the break of dawn, before anyone saw him, because there are houses around that billboard and there's people driving by. So it just, it, it's, it's incredulous. It's just impossible for Hooper to have been there. We know that Hooper is with Chief that whole night, probably didn't even sleep much because they were, they had to do all, uh, Hooper was probably there for when the recovery of Ben Gardner's body. He probably went over the boat, Ben Gardner's boat, the Flicka. He probably went over that more trying to see if there was any other damage or any other thing he could prove that it was a shark. And it just so happened that on that night of July 2nd, there were other van, there were there was another party at the billboard and they were vandalizing that billboard. They were painting that billboard on the night of July 2nd. So then it was discovered and the mayor was called and he called chief to meet him up at the billboard on the morning of July 3rd. So it was not Hooper. That is an incorrect theory. We have to shoot that down. That's not what the evidence in the movie points to. The evidence in the movie obviously points to it's not Hooper. It's someone else. One more little note that, and if you gave Hooper a brush, he would have done a better, more anatomically correct shark fin. He would have had a more exaggerated curve on the front end. The fin on the billboard, the actual painted fin, is almost triangular, and it looks like something a child would have done. The mayor did have a point. He said, I want those little paint-happy guys caught and hung up by their Buster Browns because it was the work of a child. That's another reason why it just doesn't look like something a well-studied marine biologist would have done if given a paintbrush. So it's definitely not Hooper. Get that theory right out. We're going to toss that because it's that's wrong. The, the ones that are guilty of the billboard crime are the Sharkfin brothers, Stephen and Jonathan Searle. Stephen Searle was 11 years old and Jonathan Searle, who was eight years old at the time. Those are the Sharkfin brothers, the pranksters that had the fake Sharkfin. Yes, they are guilty of painting and vandalizing the Amity Island billboard. And more accurately, the ringleader was Stephen Searle, the older brother. He was the one who masterminded it all, and it was in a reaction to seeing his friend Alex Kittner disappear in a splash of triangular fins and a cloud of bloody water at the beach on June 29th, 1974. What we're doing here at the Jaws Obsession is we, we deal with facts and we deal with evidence at hand. This is not conjecture. This is actually the evidence that we have here points to the Sharkfin brothers, as we will call them. And since they were not given, that's their actual names. The two actors were Stephen and Jonathan Searle, the little boys. The characters did not have any names in the movie, so we're just going to go with their real names. So in order to prove that that was them, sometimes the answer is right in front of us. And we just have to pause and look and actually look at the details in a frame-by-frame -frame analysis and we can find out the Sharkfin brothers were guilty of, this, of the billboard vandalism. In order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to prove the motive, method, and means that the Sharkfin brothers would have had in order to pull off the billboard vandalism. Uh, we're going to do something different for this episode. We're going to release this episode of the broadcast at the same time, we're going to release this on YouTube as well. And if you watch the YouTube version of this broadcast, we'll have all these pictures included with the video, like a massive PowerPoint 
demonstration, but it still works with the broadcast. So stay with us if you're listening on your podcast platform. Uh, to refresh your memory, this would be the Sharkfin brothers that played the uh, that had the fake shark fin on the beach on the Fourth of July for Jaws. To the link for the Telegram channel for the show notes, just go down into the description of the broadcast that you're listening to, and you'll see the pictures of the Sharkfin brothers. Uh, Stephen and Jonathan Searle. The younger of the two brothers, Jonathan Searle is set to become the next police chief of Oak Bluffs. And that kind of made uh, news headlines around the world. Many media outlets picked up that and ran with this story that the uh, pr one of the pranksters in the movie Jaws is now going to be the new Chief Brody of Martha's Vineyard or Oak Bluffs, which is a town next to uh, Eggertown, where they filmed Jaws in Eggertown. This news story led to one of the, uh, how should I say, this this kind of stamped in what this narrative of the Sharkfin brothers was always this narrative of two troublemakers, two pranksters that had nothing to do with the storyline. And we are going to prove all that wrong now with this episode of the Jaws Obsession, as we're going to get further into this episode. But I wanted to highlight this um, false narrative in just two of the mentions. This made there was so many mentions of Jonathan Searle becoming the next police chief. Uh, one was GB, uh, WGBH.org out of Boston. Um, they described the uh, decades ago, a young Searle played one of the pranksters with a cardboard fin in Jaws, which prompted panic on the beach. New York Post was even quoted as saying, uh, the New York Post, Jaws child star named police chief of town where a movie was filmed. And then they mentioned in that article with the New York Post mentions that Searle and his real life brother, Stephen, memorably, memorably played two pranksters who caused mass panic on the beach after swimming into the ocean with a cardboard fin. Cardboard fin. That's right. It says cardboard fin. Just like in the Boston article, just like all these articles, we're going to prove that it's not a cardboard fin. So that that's all part of the story here. So what I wanted to get that out of the way was that this has been a 47-year narrative of that these were just two prankster kids. They had nothing to do with the storyline. Well, that's all wrong, because what we're going to do now is we have to establish them as the guilty party for the billboard. We have to go through a motive, method, and means. Motive is defined as an emotion, desire, physiological need, or similar impulse that acts as an incitement to action. A method is a process by which a task is completed. And the means is a method or way of doing something. Motive, why did they do it? Method is how did they do it? And means is what did they use to do it with, right? Uh, we're going to go through each of these columns, and we're going to prove that the Sharkfin brothers were the ones that vandalized the billboard. Uh, there's three scenes that we're going to do to prove these three elements, okay? There's three, th three scenes in the movie. One is going to be the marching band scene at the beginning of the movie. The next is going to be the beach scene when the attack of Alex Kittner. And then, of course, finally, we're going to use as the boys are pulled out of the water with the fake shark fin. So those three scenes are what we're going to have, what we're going to need to establish the clues here. So let's start with motive. We have to find is, was there an emotion, desire, or physiological need, or similar impulse that acts as an incitement to action, acts as an incitement to these boys to vandalize the billboard? Do we have a motive? Yes, we do. And in order to do that, what we have to do is we have to establish that at the beginning of the movie. So if we look in our show notes, we're going to go to motive. Photo motive one is a screenshot of uh, Deputy Hendricks carrying the painting supplies and sign supplies to close the beaches, talking to the mayor, 
as that marching band comes around the corner. Now, as we go frame by frame, as we watch the marching band comes around the corner, how many people know that in that marching band, you not only have the Shark Fin Brothers in this marching band, but you also have Alex Kittner is in the marching band. Yes, he is. We have cinematic proof from the movie. We also have behind the scenes proof. And we're going to show you that right here is that if you look to, if you, if you go to motive two, there's a, going to be a kid in a, the, the red and white striped shirt and the hat. That's going to be Alex Kittner, Jeffrey Voorhees. As he's coming around the corner, he's banging on a drum. He's in the drum line. Okay. That's Alex Kittner. If you look on the in the center of that frame, the kid with the symbols, Okay, the little boy with the symbols and the light blue shirt with the darker blue sleeves. Okay, if you go to motive three, that's the that's a little bit of more of a closer shot. That right there is Jonathan Searle. That's the younger of the two Sharkfin brothers. Okay, motive four is another frame that's a little bit closer. If you go to motive five over on the far left of the wider shot, that's going to be Stephen Searle with the blue drum. And he's on the far left side of the frame. He comes right around the corner. He's right there. So if we move along, the motive six is going to be the inset. That right there is Jeffrey Voorhees playing Alex Kittner. We have behind the scenes photos as well, courtesy of Jaws Memories of Martha's Vineyard, the wonderful book by Matt Taylor. He included some behind the scenes photos here. And if you go to motive seven, if you look at motive seven, we're going to see a black and white still of the marching band. There's Deputy Hendricks. There's the mayor. And on the left is, that's Stephen Searle. That's one of the Sharkfin brothers right there. So we verified that he is on the far left side in the movie. Then if we go to motive eight, another black and white behind the scenes photo from off to the side of the marching band. And there we have Jonathan Searle. Clearly that's him with the symbols and uh, that's a clear photo of him. Now, the, the, the best picture that we have right now, if you go to Motive 9, you have all three, you have a whole, a wider shot of the marching band before they started filming. So these guys, so all the boys are in formation. And I put photos of, you have Jonathan Searle on the far left, you see him, Stephen Searle on the far right. I put a photo underneath there. And in the middle, baseball cap, striped shirt, that's Jeffrey Voorhees playing Alex Kittner right in the middle there. Now, in order to prove to this, don't take my word for it. Don't take the Jaws obsession. We are going to bring on the man himself. We have a message from Jeffrey Voorhees, the actor who played Alex Kittner. He was kind enough to record a special, special appearance on this episode 30 of the Jaws obsession to explain if he was in that marching band. And here he is. Whoa, I'm going to send out a, a greeting to all the Jaws Obsession community. Um, I hear upcoming episode 30 is coming up about Jaws. And, and I hear there's also, there's, to prove a theory in this upcoming episode about that Alex Kintner in Jaws, the little Kintner boy on the raft and the parade. I hear that there's a theory that he was in that parade. Well, we'll talk about that a little uh, because I know a little bit about this. This is the dead Alex Kentner, Jeff Voorhees here on Martha's Vineyard, Amity Island. I'm standing on the beach where I was eating 
This is uh, 48 years ago. That's how long I've been dead. The little mystery about that parade. Alex Kinder was in that parade, I believe. That's me. I had just moved to Martha's Vineyard that year. And, oh, Egertown Boys and Girls Club, the drum and bugle. I joined that thing. I played the drums in that. And the parade scene happened before I got eaten. And Spielberg says, no, you can't be in that scene because you, you die in the movie. When I was a little 12-year-old kid, um, Spielberg, he was like, no, you can't be in it. And then finally after begging him for a week before that whole scene happened, he said, well, you're not dead yet, so you could be in that scene. So when you're watching the movie, I still live in that town where the parade goes up the wrong way. It's a one-way street. That's Egertown on Amity Island, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, we have a bar right down there. And um, that parade coming up, when you're looking at it, the little kid with long hair banging on the drums, that's me, the dead Alex Kinder. That's back in the days when I had some hair. But the scene, you can see it. Anyone that watches, it's like, oh, wait, there he is. There's Alex Kinder banging on the drums. I wasn't dead yet, so Spielberg finally let me be in it. So, you know, this should help out episode 30 coming up. This is to the Jaws Obsession community. And hopefully this little information about the dead Alex Kinder being in that little parade before I was eaten. I was able to get in that because I was not chowed down yet. And hopefully that gives you a Jawsome 30th episode coming up from the dead Alex Kinder. Jeff Boy is here on Martha's Vineyard, Amity Island. I think that's great that we just had a piece of Jaws history, Jeff Voorhees, who played Alex Kittner, come onto the show. And through the magic of today's technology, I reached out to him through his Cameo account. And we were able to get a message to get him on the show. And he went right out. He's he's there on Martha's Vineyard. He went right out to the beach where they filmed his attack scene. And yeah, it's a little windy, but that's great. He just uh, So we have him from where he was filmed 48 years ago, uh, describing to us the details of the marching band scene. And that's great. So a huge thanks to Jeff Voorhees for coming on board the Jaws Obsession and sending us this groundbreaking revelation that Alex Kittner was in that marching band at the beginning of Jaws. Alex Kittner was also an acquaintance and friend with Stephen and Jonathan Searle. They were all in that marching band together. That's a very, very, very big part of this puzzle. That is a groundbreaking revelation. Alex Kittner is not made out. He, what he does is he comes around the corner and he's blocked out by the mayor. So he's right behind the mayor in that quick shot as the marching band's walking toward us. You cannot really see Alex Kittner that long, but he's there. He's there. He's definitely there. He's definitely filming, according to Jeffrey Voorhees, who was on set and played Alex Kittner. So that's wonderful. That is a huge part of this process of establishing a motive of the Shark Fin Brothers. And why would they now vandalize the billboard? So for that, we have to go to the next scene, which would be in the Jaws timeline. Now, remember, this was all on Friday morning, June 27th. That was the morning of the Chrissy attack. And this is the morning when... Um, Chief Brody's running around, uh, gets the word from the, uh, from the medical examiner, and now he's running around getting supplies to close the beaches. All of this stuff takes place on June 27th. So now we're going to fast forward to June 29th, which is the Alex Kittner attack, okay? June 28th was skipped over, and then we go to June 29th. 
Now remember, this is all, I'm going off the official Jaws movie timeline set by the Jaws Obsession on episode 16. If you want to know how we reached these dates, go listen to episode 16 because that was an extremely important episode. We Now we're on June 29th, the Alex Kittner attack on the beach. If we go to the beach composite photo, Alex Kittner goes back into the water with the raft. All the boys run back into the water. What you have now is you have the shark attack on Alex Kittner and you see the fins roll over in the water. Then you see the reaction of the boys in the bloody water. The two boys on the far left, which I have freeze frame for you and put into this beach composite, is you see Stephen Searle in the front and Jonathan Searle behind him. Those are the Sharkfin brothers right there swimming in the blood of their friend, Alex Kittner, who was just attacked and killed by the shark. They are also there to witness these gigantic triangle fins flopping over into the water. What you also have is remember that Alex Kittner came out and Mrs. Kittner says they're beginning to prune as in he was already in the water for a really long time. So he was already playing. We do not we do not see him, but he was playing with everybody. So they were all playing in the water together. So these boys are friends. They're close to each other. They're in the same marching band. Two days later, they're at the beach together. They see their friend get eaten by a shark. They're also seeing the blood in the water that they swim away from. That's a traumatic experience that affects these two boys, the shark fin brothers, Stephen, Jonathan Searle. This is now establishing the emotional impulse that 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 triggers, that's the act that triggers an incitement to action. So seeing their friend, so we've established that they're friends with Alex Kittner. Now they're seeing their friend at the beach and an incitement to act out. And they've also seen triangular fins in the water. Keep all that in mind. That's all, it's all proven here on this beach composite taken from stills in the movie. I have two stills of the different uh, fin angles that they would have seen because look at the, look at the, especially especially Steven Searle, the older brother, look at his angle. He is right there to see those fins. That right there, those two sequences and the appearance by Jeffrey Voorhees just established that there is a motive for the shark fin brothers to go and vandalize the billboard. Three days later, that night of July 2nd, they're going to be vandalizing the billboard. So this right now establishes a motive. So let's move on to method. Method is a process by which a task is completed. So are these two boys, are they capable of getting high up there to paint using ladders? Are they smart enough to do that? Do they know how to work with their hands? Also, are they capable of vandalism? Are these just good boys? Do they have a history of vandalism already? And we are going to prove, yes, they do. So the first question is, are they capable of, of using ladders and getting high up there to put paint on the billboard? Uh, yes, they are. Okay, so with method, we're going to have to look at the series of photos labeled method one through method six. Uh, what method one is, is a close-up of the shark fin, uh, the fake shark fin that the boys were pushing through the water. As that turns over and it faces us, you can see method two and a better view, a, lighted, a lit view is method three. I want you to look at how thick that is. That is not a cardboard fin. That is a piece of wood. That is a wooden fin. Look also at method four. As the guy's pulling it up out of the water, look how that wooden fin stays intact. That is not cardboard. Cardboard that is soaked and covered in water would be very floppy and flimsy. And cardboard is not that thick. That is a piece of wood. That is a very sturdy, constructed, look at the guy as he's holding it on the boat in method five. And method six, 
you can see that he's holding it by the fin. So that, that heavy wood base is actually being supported by the fin. So why do we think it's a cardboard fin? Well, it's just because Hooper said on the radio, he's telling Chief Brody, it's just some kids with a cardboard fin. Hooper's three boats away. So his view, his vantage point is he he's he's just interpreting what he's seen from a distance. And that's kind of one of the neat little things about Jaws is Jaws is all about vantage points and seeing the story of from certain angles. And we've always been thought that this was a cardboard fin. And even now with the New York Post article and the Boston News article about Jonathan Searle becoming chief of police, that people still think this is just pranksters with a cardboard fin. No, no, no. These were, this was a very intricately built fin that was made of wood. So that establishes a method that these two boys, especially Stephen Searle, the older brother, the 11-year-old older brother, is capable of getting up to the billboard to paint it. If he can build a wooden fin with handles that's able to be turned upside down and they probably waded into the beach down the way and then they swam with the fin upside down, they probably turned it back over and then swam with it once they got close to the people to put the fin upright. So if you look at that, that shows that these they, they, they're well thought out they're premeditated, but they're good at using their hands. So there's no way that a billboard with a little ledge on it, that they, that's a cinch. They would be able to climb up there, set up a stepladder, and do whatever they had to do in order to get this paint onto the billboard. So that's one of the processes. So method is defined as a process by which a task is completed. And just the construction of a wooden fin with handles like this is... Uh, it shows that there is a that they are capable of this process to complete the task of vandalizing the, the billboard. Another part of the method is: Are they capable of vandalism? Like, okay, these are they, they they were pranking with a fake wooden fin, but are they really capable of destruction of property? Well, that's where remember in the last episode, in episode twenty nine, I used my Jurassic Park example of. That where in Jurassic Park they had DNA, and when it was where it was incomplete, when there was holes in the DNA, they used and uh, they used a frog to fill the DNA of a frog to fill those holes. So what we're going to do is, in order to answer this question, are the shark fin brothers capable of vandalism? We're going to now go to method seven, which is the slide is it's Bad Hat Harry Harry Kiesel of Kiesel's uh, Bike Rentals showing Chief Brody the uh, broken picket fence. Remember, Polly was telling Chief Brody, there's boys that are karateing the picket fence. Uh, so there was complaints. They actually filmed, they actually filmed boys breaking the picket fence. So they filmed these vandals, but it was never used in the final edit. So this is going to be one of those ones to fill in the holes in the story. We're going to step outside and kind of look at the scrap footage that's available of uh, outtakes from Jaws. And what we're seeing here is we're seeing if you look on, if you look at this slide, which is labeled method seven, what we're seeing here is we're seeing uh, stills from the outtakes of boys breaking the fence. We are seeing Stephen Searle in his blue shirt, the same blue shirt he's wearing. If you look on the far left, that's him from the parade scene. So this was all happening that same day. This was all happening on uh, June 27th, the morning of June 27th, Stephen Searle in the blue shirt is seen with the other boys breaking the picket fence. 
they clear they clearly went down to Harry Kiesel's fence and knocked those around as they were on their way to assemble for the marching band. Also, if you watch the video, we're going to include a very short video clip in the st- in the show notes, uh, and it's going to play now on the YouTube video. You're going to see Jonathan Searle, the younger brother, break a section of the picket fence, and it pans over to Stephen Searle breaking his section of the picket fence. They're both wearing the same clothes, the same shirts that they wear in the parade sequence. So this is all the same day. So this establishes before Alex Kittner is attacked, before Alex Kittner is killed by the shark, that these boys were already vandals. They already had a history of vandalism and they were just troublemakers. So they were troublemakers. So that also leads to our question of method. Are they capable of the process by which a task is completed? Were they capable of doing vandalism to a billboard sign. Of course they were because we have actual footage of them karateing the picket fences, as Polly would say. So now we have to establish a means, a method or way of doing something. Did these boys have a way of performing the vandalism? Now we have to put, how did they get black and white paint? And then can we put them with black and white paint in their hands? Did we catch them with evidence of black and white paint? Yes, we did. Let's get into that. Means is also defined by how a result is obtained or an end is achieved. How did they get a black and white paint? So for that, we're going to go to the composite photo that we have is uh, under the label Means 1. So Means 1 shows, again, we're back at Kiesel's bike rental, Bad Hat Harry, showing his broken fence to Chief Brody. Now, if you look later on, you look at Harry's work apron that he's wearing, it's And also, I have a still photo on the far right of uh, Steven Spielberg with his back to the camera directing Roy Scheider and Al Wilde, who played Harry Kiesel. Look at Bad Hat Harry's apron. It is spattered with black paint. So Harry was painting bicycle frames, and he was using black paint. So we know that there was black paint available right there at Kiesel's bicycle rental. Also, you have to assume that he had broken picket fences. When the parade went by, when the chief blew him off, he just said, well, I got to go fix my picket fence. So he went to go get new wood. And of course he would have bought what? White paint. So that's what he would have brought back, whether it was primer, white primer, or he had white paint. So there is an area right here where the boys obviously got in there to vandalize it that maybe he left those paint cans out. So he had black, he was obviously using black paint because it's stained on the front of his apron. So the boys had access to black and white paint through Kiesel's bicycle rental that we see in this composite photo labeled as means one. Then we're going to go to the composite photo that's labeled means two. What we're going to see is a exact, almost an exact copy of the wooden fake fin is the same type of simple childlike triangular shape that a young child would think a shark fin looks like. It is is not anatomically correct, and it is almost the same as what appears on the billboard. And if you put the two images together, like we have right here under uh, means two, we have the two 
fins together, they are almost the exact same shape. If you go to means three, where it shows one of the um, one of the Coast Guard guys that was watching off the beach, when that fin goes by in the background, you see the little triangle. It's almost a witch's hat triangle. It's just a almost a perfect triangle, and that's what the wooden fin was. A little bit close up on means four, you can look at that. So what we have now is we have a giant fin that was painted by someone who saw the fin in the water. Let's go back to uh, the beach composite photo. That right there, look at those triangular fins coming out of the water as it as it takes as it takes Alex Kittner down under the water. The Shark Fin brothers, uh, Stephen and Jonathan Searle, were there to see that. So of course they would go back to look at the billboard. They would draw a black triangle because also the fin that they saw was backlit by the sun, so it was silhouetted and so it looked black to them. So that's why they're painting this. The, it, everything fits right here. They had access to black and white paint. The The vandals were clearly little children or little, they were clearly young enough to have a, a childlike look at what a shark, what a monster shark would look like. Now, if you look at means five, we have a close up of the men pulling the wooden fake fin up out of the water by the handles. The handles are painted white. So it's a black it's the it's a black paint on the wood. The wooden shark fin is painted black and the handles are painted white. So now we have the boys caught with with an item that is painted black and painted white, black and white paint just like what's on the vandalized billboard. So now we have caught the boys with the means to vandalize the billboard. And it doesn't end there. In means six, as the boys come up out of the water and turn around, that shark fin flops over on its side. They push it over on its side. You have a close-up of the handle sticking straight up. You see, although not as clear because it's backlit by the sun, but you do see the white paint on the handle. So you have black paint and white paint right there with the boys. So now we have the means. So we established the motive, we established the method, and now we established the means that these boys, the Sharkfin brothers, were guilty of vandalizing the Amity billboard. He made me do it. He told me to do it. So some final thoughts on what this what this does now is this changes the narrative that we have for 47 years. We have lived with this narrative that these were just troublemakers. Everybody, including myself, we always watched this and said, well, those little rats, I can't believe they did that. Oh, they're just a couple of pranksters, just a couple. Of... No, what they were, they were heroes. They were trying to warn people of a shark fin that they saw kill their friend, and they were swimming in the bloody water of their friend, and no one was taking them seriously. So they were reacting the way the kids can do. This creates an, another narrative that's going on in plain while we watch the events of Jaws, there is something along the lines of an Amity Island Goonies going on where you have these young kids and they're trying to figure out how to warn everybody about what they saw. So this was all going on for that first week, those last few days in June, all the way to the night of July 2nd when the boys said, we're going to go take the black and white paint from Bad Hat Harry's Bicycle Shop. And we're going to go up there and we're going to paint a shark fin. And we're going to warn everybody that there's a big shark here and everybody to stay out of the water. And when that, that didn't work, that didn't work on July 3rd, they went to their basement and they built this, this wooden fake fin, painted it with the same black and white paint. 
And then on 4th of July, they went over there to do what they thought because what good is them running up and down the beach saying everybody get out of the water, no one would listen to a kid. So they went over there and they devised this plan to get everybody out of the water and it worked. Everybody ran out of the water. Some people did get hurt. However, it is most likely that the shark in Jaws would have killed many more people on the 4th of July if it wasn't for the Shark Fin Brothers doing what they thought they should do is stand up for the memory of their lost friend and get everybody out of the water. Also, a final note is the younger brother, Jonathan Searle, points to his older brother, Stephen Searle, and he says, he made me do it. He talked me into it. He made me do it. He talked me into it. That's the line. In an interview in Jaws Memories of Martha's Vineyard, um, what he says is he's, that's the line he made up for the scene. He said, he made me do it. He talked me into it. And he swallows some salt water. So that last line is garbled. But that's what he says. He made me do it. He talked me into it. He made me do it. He talked me into it. So what we're really looking here is the little kid on the left, 11-year-old Stephen Searle is actually the hero of this sequence. He, Yes, he's a troublemaker. Yes, he's karate chopping picket fences. But what he does is he, he sees one of his friends that he's in the marching band with, Alex Kittner, get attacked and killed by a shark and just disappear from the earth forever. He's swimming in a cloudy blood of his friend. And that kind of triggers him to go on this... Uh, 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 as a troublemaker, uh, in any way a troublemaker would. Maybe he was trying to tell people what he saw and all his teachers and everybody and even his parents were just like, oh, he's always a boy who cried wolf. I don't believe him. So he talks his younger brother into going up there and painting the billboard. And then he talks his younger brother into taking the wooden fin out and doing the ultimate prank or the ultimate attempt to get people out of the water is to scare everybody with scare everybody with a fake shark fin. So this is also a narrative on Stephen Searle, 11-year-old Stephen Searle, friend of Alex Kittner, and how he was reacting to the death of his friend. So as we talked before back in episode 13 about Jaws communication, that Jaws is, all, is, is a lot about how humans interact and communicate with each other or miscommunicate with each other. And this is a narrative of this, how a young boy communicates the morning, his morning of the loss of his friend. So my hope is that as we, after you listen to episode 30 of the Jaws obsession here, is that we now see these two boys in a more sympathetic light. We actually see them as heroes because they knew there was a shark out there they saw the shark, and they still got in the water to warn people with a sh fake shark fin. That is what we have done here, I believe, is that we have done that with evidence at hand to send you forward and to now watch this with this narrative, watch the movie again, and now see how your perception changes when you know more details that are provided. And that's what we hope to do here, not just with the Jaws obsession, but with the Book of Quint going forward, is to make Jaws more of an, uh, an enhanced experience for you to realize that, that there's a much bigger story happening here. And it's always fun to know all of the little details. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired I
A big thank you to Jeffrey Voorhees for the message to the Jaws obsession and coming on board for episode 30 here to provide us with some evidence to get to this final conclusion. Uh, The full message from Jeffrey Voorhees can be found available at our Telegram and YouTube channels. Check that out. He provides some more details from his time on set with the movie Jaws. Special thanks to John Tedder of Quince Shark and Shack at Etsy.com and Orca Rebuild over on YouTube. John helped me gather some evidence, some much-needed evidence to uh, reach these conclusions. So special thanks. Thanks a lot, John. Uh, if you like this episode and and enhanced views of Jaws, let's get in line. You can always get in line for the Book of Quint. Follow the links in the description below to get on board over at Indiegogo.com. You can follow all those links over there and um, get in line for the Book of Quint. The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyright Act. The copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by the Fair Use Guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act. All rights reserved to the copyright owners. JawsOB.com, BookOfQuint.com. You can reach me at email, JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. Like, share, subscribe, and leave five stars if you can. Thanks a lot for listening this week. This was a special episode 30. I always appreciate everybody coming back where our audience is growing leaps and bounds by the day. And I want to thank you for your time and listening. And I look forward to speaking with you again and talking more Jaws. So until next week, farewell and adieu, and show me the way to go home.